Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter, will pass from the law, thank you, until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Lord, I pray you would speak to us, that your Spirit would say to each and every one of us what we need to hear today. And I pray that we would leave this place transformed and challenged by the Holy Ghost. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. Why don't you go ahead and be seated? I'm going to try something different. I just feel like doing this today. So on Friday, or I'm sorry, Thursday, I was able to um, go and see a hero. And I've never met this woman before in my life, but I heard about her. Her name is Joanne Bland, and that's such an ironic last name because she is salty. She is fiery in the best way. Uh, Joanne, and the title of the sermon is Joanne and Jim, and I think the subtitle would be The Visible Community, and I'm going to try to unpack that over the next few minutes. So Jesus says, no one after lighting a lamp puts it under the bushel basket. And he says, salt that has lost its saltiness is worth nothing. And he's talking about us. He's talking about people who would follow him, and then they lose that distinction. But I think we need to unpack what that means. So back to Joanne. Joanne was a child who grew up in the segregated south of Selma, Alabama. And her mother died when she was really young because she was taken to a white hospital who would not give her white blood to, for a blood transfusion. And so she was a child, and she remembers being scarred by this. Her mother died because this white hospital had made her mother wait for black blood that was being transferred for miles away and didn't get there on time. Her mother died with her baby brother in her belly. So she was a baby. She was young when this happened, a child. And it, it had an impact on her. And she tells a story about how she grew up. She was walking through the streets of Selma. And one day, she, she always wanted to go inside this drugstore called Carter's Drugstore. And she would always stop and look through the window to see these young children, white children, sitting on stools. It had a lunch counter there in the drugstore, and she always wanted to go in. And her grandmother, who was raising her, had to lean over and say, you can't go in there. It's against the law. You can't, you can't eat there. They would come back to town later. She would look through the window again, be reminded that that was a place that she wasn't allowed to go in because her people were oppressed by unjust systems. One day she came to that window and she looked through it and her grandmother realized what was happening. Her grandmother realized that she really wanted to go inside. 
So she leaned forward, and this is when her life changed. Her grandmother leaned forward and whispered in her ear and said to her, when we get our freedom, you'll be able to sit there. And she tells the story, Joanne says that that was the day she became a freedom fighter. Two things her life centered upon were church and activism. Even at a young age, she is the youngest person to have been jailed. I love this part of her story. She's the youngest person to have been jailed during the civil rights movement. By the time she was 11 years old, she had been documented. She had been arrested 13 times by the age of 11, uh, working for the freedom of a people. She was there on Bloody Sunday. She talks about it in her story when they tried to cross the bridge. She talks about how she was thrown into a, a white police car and her older sister, she was just a child, her older sister saw this happen and ran to her, got in the car with her voluntarily. Joanne put her head on her sister's lap and felt drips on her face and she thought her sister was crying. Her sister required 32 stitches because she was hit by police officers in the back of her head and in the front of her face. It was blood falling on her face. She took this story with her for the rest of her life and decided because of her faith community who told her, her church told her, that we need to live our faith out loud, that we need to be public with our faith, that Jesus calls us to be salt and light, that we have to do something about this. That's the story of Joanne. Here's the story of Jim. Jim Wallace is an American theologian, author, political activist. Some of you know him. He's known for a magazine called Sojourners. When Jim Wallace was the same age, he was young, he remembers as a teenager going to church and bringing the subject up at his white church that he grew up in. And he told this church community, I feel called to, that we should be, I feel the calling for our community that we should be more visible with our faith, that we ought to be doing this work with other churches, black churches in the civil rights movement, working towards the liberation of people. And he tells a story about an elder who came up to him in his church, this one particular elder, which changed his life. Not in a good way. The elder got mad at him. And in so many words, the elder told him, you need to shut up with that. And then the elder said to him, and I want to make sure I get this right. He said, the church has no involvement with civil rights and racism. His elder grabbed him and said, that's political. We don't get involved with that. And then he said this, and this is what really messed Jim Wallace up in a good way. The elder said, our faith is private. Jim Wallace would then spend the rest of his life dedicated to the mission of communicating to the church and the neighborhood at large that while faith is personal, it is never private. He would spend the rest of his life on this thesis that faith, while it is personal, no one would deny that God is personal, but he's not personal so that it terminates with you, so that his love, his, the gifts of God terminate with you. He's, he's personal so that you will go out into the world and be salt and light. Faith is personal, of course, but it's never private. So today we have Joanne's and Jim's, still. 
We have people in faith communities who are being told to let their light shine, to do the good work that God has given them to do, to be agents of God's change and liberation and justice. Very much what we heard in Isaiah's text today. But we also have folks who are being told by their faith communities to sit down and shut up, that their faith is private. Last week we read about the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes and how these are counter-cultural things. It's a perspective that Jesus enunciates, that he calls us to, that if we're not careful, we can read the Sermon on the Mount and we can read the Beatitudes as such, that it would almost make us think the natural outcome of such countercultural ideas is to become separatists, right? Like, if, if this is going to make us so different, then maybe we should just become isolated separatists because we're going to be so different than the world. But I love that Jesus follows up these countercultural imperatives with go let your light shine and be salt in the world. He's saying you are going to be very different, very radical. And at the same time, he's saying, and get out there, <laughs> um, calling us to be public with our faith. It would be easy for us to think that maybe, and I've heard people say this, that I've, I've had people tell me this, that the Sermon on the Mount is for personal piety. Keep that to yourself. I get emails. <laughs> now it's direct messages. I get direct messages of people telling me to just get folks saved. People who don't even know me, but they feel like they want to tell me that. Happened two weeks ago. Just shut up and preach Jesus. Well, I am. It's a matter of which Jesus I'm preaching. It's definitely not a Jesus that would let us be quiet about justice for sure. And our text today will not let us be quiet. They won't let us fade into invisibility. We are to be salt and light. You read it yourself. We are to permeate society. We are to preserve like salt and tell the truth like light. In love, but tell the truth nonetheless. Speak the truth. And I want you to look at that quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer in your uh, handouts, your bulletins today. Because I feel like this is the hinge of what I'm trying to say. Bonhoeffer, of course, died at the hands of the Nazis. He was comfortable in New York City at Union Theological Seminary. He was comfortable in the States, but he knew that he could not keep his faith private. And so he went back to Germany, his homeland, and he spoke a prophetic message, even on the radio. Like he told the truth. He was salt and light in a very public way. And it cost him his life. But here his words, let them speak to us today. To be salt, to be made light for the world, is a call for the church to be visible. For the followers of Jesus to flee into invisibility is to deny the call. Any community of Jesus which wants to be invisible is no longer a community that follows him. And Stanley Auerwas adds to this, and he says, After the Constantinian establishment, no longer could being a Christian be identified with church membership, since many Christians, quote, in the church had not chosen to follow Christ. Now to be a Christian is transmuted to inwardness. But according to Bonhoeffer in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew challenges all attempts to make invisible what it means to follow Jesus. You are the light of the world. Here's a question. What does Bonhoeffer mean by the invisible community? That's, that's something I want to hold in tension right now. What is Bonhoeffer referring to? All I can do is give you my theological opinion. 
I can just give you how I see this. To me, the salt that has lost its saltiness is the invisible community. The people who, the Christians, who really blend in well to society, <laughs> that's the invisible community. We can't see any distinguishing factors. What makes you different than anybody else? You, you buy the same, you think the same, that you're, you look just like everyone else, right? That's the invisible community. It's salt that has lost its saltiness because it's been compromised. That's what Jesus is talking about. What good? is salt if it just gets mixed in with all these other ideologies? What's good with salt if it just mirrors the very systems of injustice, the very systems that are skewed that the world gives? What is good if salt becomes just as consumeristic, materialistic? What good is it if we just become like everybody else? So the invisible community, to me, is the community that is telling other people in the faith to cover their lamp. Um, I, I was raised singing the song, This Little Light of Mine. And my favorite part of that song, I would shout it out, is when we got to the line that says, hide it under a bushel. I would sing the whole song quiet until we, and maybe that was prophetic when I was young, I don't know. I would sing the whole song quiet until we sang, hide it under a bushel. And then I would scream at the top of my lungs in Sunday school, no, that's not what we're here to do. We're not here to sit down and shut up. We're not here to blend in. We're not here to get mixed in with all these other isms that society would hand to us. We're here to be radical. Radical. Getting ourselves into good trouble, as Eugene Peterson told us last week. The invisible community. It's a community who tells bright folks and awake folks to turn down. The invisible community is a church board. Oh, yes. The church board telling a preacher to back off the social justice because it's hurting the offering. The invisible community is a community sending angry, angry emails to both pastors and parishioners with messages like, just preach Jesus and get people saved. Uh, the invisible community has allocated Jesus to the Secretary of Afterlife Affairs. In other words, Jesus is just a ticket to heaven in the invisible community. The invisible community is made up of people who have traded in a public, visible, word and deed faith for a private spirituality, allocating Jesus to become your ticket to heaven, your pie in the sky when you die, who has nothing to say to or for the least of these. The visible community, the visible community. So now we're flipping it. What's the visible community? This is what we're called to be. I would say they are those who have a public faith, rich in good works, bearing what John the Baptist was calling people to, the fruit of repentance, meaning that if your life has been transformed, then you will have a deep impulse within your heart to transform the world. Can I get an amen? amen. Transform people, transforming the world by the Spirit of God, living within them, loving through them, reclaiming all things back into the reign of God. The visible community are those who keep before them the liberation of all people, the liberation of the oppressed. Look at Isaiah's language. You can, look, you can read it right now if you want to. I'm going to read it for you. Isaiah says this is what the visible community looks like. This is the community of God that God really wants, the people of God. 
He's like, yeah, it's cool that you're going to be fasting, and I'm going to fast with you guys. I don't think Isaiah was necessarily uh, setting aside the spiritual discipline of fasting. But he says this, if you're going to fast while you oppress poor people, you might as well not even fast. This is what the, the visible community looks like. Those who loose the bonds of injustice, who free the oppressed, who stand up for the subjugated, the maltreated, the exploited, the poor, those on the underside of power, those who let suffering speak to quote Cornell West, which I think is so important. This is what we need to do today. Let suffering speak. Isaiah says, break the yokes of injustice. Share your bread. Share your money with the hungry. Share your home. Share your security with those who have none. Meet the needs of the afflicted, the uninsured, those with pre-existing medical conditions. In other words, Isaiah says, be visible. Be visible. Have a faith that has good news to offer to the world. Have a faith that is rich in good works. Uh, I think this is what we're called to. It's to be a visible community. I am not saying that we are to be a political community where we take the faith and we allocate it to a political party. That is not what I'm trying to say. I am saying that what we're called to do is to be followers of Jesus Christ, doing good works so that other people can see them and praise our Father who is in heaven. That's what we're called to do. The invisible community is, read the psalm, the psalm switches and it talks about the wicked. What we read is about the righteous. But here's how the psalm that we read today defines the wicked. The wicked see the righteous giving freely to the poor, and it says they gnash their teeth and then they pine away. And Brueggemann, Brueggemann is one of my favorite troublemakers. He says this, the wicked are not people who are promiscuous and drink all the time. I think when I was growing up, that's how I viewed wicked people. Right. Um, I didn't do those things. It was a negative sort of spirituality, you know, piety. I don't do those things and they do. They're wicked. Little did I know you can lock yourself in a room, do absolutely nothing and be utterly wicked. It's the sin of omission, the things you should have done. But you didn't. I was hungry. <laughs> you did nothing. Brueggemann says wicked people are not the ones who drink all the time. The wicked in the Psalms are rather those who do not care about other people. That is how the psalmist defines wicked. They see the poor, they don't care. And in fact, the psalmist says, it drives them crazy to see other people who do care. They see the righteous giving freely to the poor, to quote the psalm, and they gnash their teeth. You know why? Because your care for the poor is a conflict with their apathy. It sets intention. It's a contrast to their indifference. So whenever people who don't care see people who do care, loving on people who have no one who cares, it all of a sudden stirs within them indignation and they gnash their teeth. They should pull themselves up from their own bootstraps. Dr. King said it's heartless to tell people who have no boots to pull themselves up from their own bootstraps. They gnash their teeth. I think Facebook is filled with gnashing of teeth. I think social media is filled with gnashing of teeth. And just try to say something on behalf of the poor and watch how those teeth gnashers want to chime in on your comment section and troll you. Yeah. 
Paul says authentic human beings in your epistle today, authentic human beings are ones who hear the summon of the gospel, Christ crucified, in other words, and then they give their life away for the sake of the neighborhood. What's your neighborhood? Paul says the real human being is the one who has the mind of Christ. And what does he mean by that? The mind of Christ is he emptied himself. He explains this in his own writing. He emptied himself, became nothing, taking on the, the form of a slave, giving it all for the sake of the, the neighborhood, loving people, the kenosis of Christ, the emptying of Christ. He had everything. He who was rich became poor, left it all. That is the trajectory of the Christian faith. Take what you have. John Wesley, the one who was responsible for the Methodist movement, he said, if I die with more than 10 pounds in my pocket, you have the right to call me a thief. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. Live your life so well that when you die, you, you take no, you just give it away. Give, I'm not telling you to live recklessly. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But every good thing that God has given you, including the mental energy that you have, the capacity to help people emotionally, physically, and spiritually, you spend your, you die well. You spend all of your life giving that energy, the divine energies of God flowing through you, you give that away. You tell people who are hurting that they're loved. You tell people who are dying and nobody cares that you care. Not just with your words, but you do something about it. Do something about it. Even if it costs you everything, you do something about it. We are to be the visible community not by controlling and co-opting secular power. In fact, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Can I get an amen? Uh, second of all, not by Christianizing a political party. It's been tried, it has failed. <laughs> not by legislating piety. You cannot legislate a human heart. Here's how we do it. I, I wish I had the guy, the Dos Equis guy right here. <laughs> Stay thirsty, my friends. Here's what I want us to do. Stay salty, my friends. Stay salty. Stay bright. This world will wear you down. When you're young, you don't know any better, and you're brave. I look at my younger self, and I say, that was a guy who was brave. Well, this world will beat it out of you, especially when you have things on the line, like children, careers, jobs. You got bills to pay. And you know if you go public with how you feel about this thing, if you go public with how Jesus is calling you into a life of justice, caring for the least of these, if you go public with that, you know it can have an impact. You'll get those memos. You'll get those notes, those DMs. Don't let it stop you. Stay salty. My question for us all is, how is God calling you to be salty? How is God calling you to be bright? Here's the thing about salt. Have you ever had salt come into a wound? Have you ever had chapped lips and you eat something salty? Oh, it burns. It's an irritant. Light is an irritant. Ask Diana when I'm trying to read and it's one in the morning and she rolls over and she goes, turn off the light. It's, it's, a, it's a sleepy kind of complaint. And she says, turn off the light. Can't put this book down. I have a new alarm clock. It wakes me up in the morning with light. I didn't know it was possible. 
but it wakes me up in the morning with daylight. I love it. Before the sound even hits my ears, the light has woken me up. But have you ever turned the lights on in a room where someone's sleeping? <laughs> it's an irritant. It is. But you're called. You are called to be salt and light in the world. Specifically, and I want to make sure we understand this, for poor people. That's what Isaiah is saying. We have to be salt and light for the poor, for those on the underside of power. Who are you going to be? Joanne? Or are you going to be the elder at Jim Wallace's church who says our faith is not public? It's a private thing. I would encourage you, go public, be visible. This is a prayer for, it's called Prayer for Conscious and Courage by Joan Chittister. Loving God, leave us beyond ourselves to care and protect, to nourish and shape, to challenge and energize both the life and the world you have given us. God of light and God of darkness, God of conscience and God of courage, lead us through this time of spiritual confusion and public uncertainty. Lead us beyond fear, apathy, and defensiveness to new hope in you and to hearts full of faith. Give us the conscience it takes to comprehend what we're facing, to see what we're looking at, and to say what we see, so that others hearing us may also brave the pressure that comes with being out of public step. Give us the courage we need to confront those things that compromise our consciences or threaten our integrity. Give us most of all the courage to follow those before us who challenged wrong and changed it, whatever the cost to themselves, for your glory, and let us all say, Amen. Thank you.